How much of the impossible is possible? Is death the end or a different and new beginning? These are questions that Harry Houdini asked after his mother died. These questions we'll leave for you to answer for yourself. For those who come a-souling, we have a little food for thought. Tonight, we're going to do the final Halloween Houdini seance from 1936. And we're going to have more on that in just a moment, along with some facts and things about Harry Houdini. We'll talk a little bit about seances, and then we will give you a Halloween seance for Harry Houdini from 1936. That's what's coming up tonight on Couch and Coffee Table. This is Couch and Coffee Table. I'm Michael Perry. I'm Heather Perry. And tonight we're going to be doing the Halloween Houdini final seance uh, from 1936. A uh, little bit of background on Harry Houdini real quick, and then we will talk about seances in general. Harry Houdini was born Eric, Eric Weiss, March 24th, 1874. He was a Hungarian-American escape artist, magic man, and stunt performer, noted for his escape acts. In fact, even now, when you hear someone say that, oh, he pulled a Houdini, he's become synonymous with the art of escape. He first attracted notice in vaudeville in the United States, and then as Harry Handcuff Houdini on a tour of Europe, where he challenged police forces to keep him locked up. Soon, he extended his repertoire to include chains, ropes, slung from skyscrapers, straight jackets underwater, and having to escape from and hold his breath inside a sealed milk can with water in it. Mm. He has escaped from numerous jails and prisons. The most notorious one was when he escaped from Scotland Yard. In 1904, thousands watched as he tried to escape from special handcuffs commissioned by London's Daily Mirror, keeping them in suspense for an hour. And another stunt saw him buried alive, only just able to claw himself to the surface, emerging in a state of near breakdown. While many suspected that these escapes were faked, Houdini presented himself as the scourge of fake spiritualists later on. As the president of the Society of American Magicians, he was keen to uphold professional standards and expose fraudulent artists. He was also quick to sue anyone who imitated his escape stunts. That I did not know. Houdini made uh, several movies, but quit acting when it failed to bring in money. He was also a keen aviator and aimed to become the first man to fly a powered aircraft in Australia. So this man had many goals. He had many different he had many different things that he wanted to try and did try. And a lot of times it felt like to me growing up that Harry Houdini was always a man who he he seemed to embrace the impossible being possible. 
I've got a picture in front of me here where Harry Houdini's about to jump off the Harvard Bridge in Boston in 1908. And basically, he's just in a bathing suit. And it looks like the water is extremely cold. But will he jump off? Absolutely, he jumped off. <laughs> he jumped off numerous times. A couple of times he jumped off bound in a trunk. He jumped off various different ways. And yes, he did hang off a skyscraper upside down with a cable latched around his feet in a straight jacket. 17 mm -hmm. stories up or something along those lines. Mm -hmm. Hanging with nothing but a rope while he while he escaped from a straight jacket, which he did. Yeah. There's film footage of this. I mean, it's the man did the impossible. He became interested in seances and everything once his mother passed on. And an adaptation of Houdini's life that was done in 52, starring Tony Curtis and Janet Leigh. There is a point whenever um, an escape goes wrong with the East River and Houdini is thought to be lost and died, but he survives. And what he says is that he heard his mother calling his calling to him. And so he followed the voice to the hole that was cut in the ice. Mm. It is then that Harry is told that his mother died. Oh, oh, gut wrenching. He gets a phone call and asks what time that she died. Mm -hmm. And it is at the exact same time that he heard her calling to him. Mm-hmm. Now, whether or not this story is true, I haven't been able to verify. Yeah. But it does make for some interesting supernatural means, and it fits in with Harry's life because that's the kind of thing that just seemed to happen to Harry. When making a lot of different... He, he did a lot of odd jobs to help support his family whenever he was a kid. He had a brother by the name of Theodore, who everybody called Dash. And for a while, he worked with him. They were uh, the brothers Houdini working Coney Island. Hmm. And it was there that he um, really started to come into his own and understood magic. But he also, there's a funny story I had heard where um, he... He had made a lot of money, and so what happened was is that he took a lot of this money and put it in various spots on him and everything, and his mother was very depressed, and so he came in and looked at her and said, shake me, I'm magic. <laughs> and as she gently shook him, money started falling out onto the floor. <laughs> and so the more she shook him, the more the money fell, and they both started laughing. It was a childhood memory that he had pulled on her, and... I think it brought them a lot closer. And according to an 1880 census, the family lived on Appleton Street in an area which is now known as Houdini Plaza. Uh, but the family lived in Appleton, Wisconsin. Um, his father was a rabbi of the Zion Reformed Jewish Congregation. Uh, and on June 6th, 1882, Rabbi Weiss, excuse me, Weiss, not Wes, Eric Weiss. So sorry. 
Rabbi Weiss became an American citizen on June 6, 1882. But he also lost his job at Zion in that same year, and they moved to Milwaukee and fell into dire poverty. And then later on, Rabbi Weiss moved with Eric, his son, Harry, to uh, New York City in 1887. Uh, but going back with his brother and everything, they had the brothers Houdini on Coney Island. This was 1894. And it was there that he um, met Bess. Bess was initially courted by Dash, but she and Harry soon married, with Bess replacing Dash in the act, which became known as simply the Houdinis. For the rest of Houdini's performing career, Bess worked as his stage assistant. Harry probably looked better in the little sequin outfit, too. Oh, probably. Because I think his wife was kind of a wee thing. Janet Lee certainly is. Mm hmm. And so Harry then went on huge, gigantic success. You know, he jumped off the Harvard Bridge in Boston and Chains and Shackles in 1908. On January 7th, 1918, he was photographed with uh, Jenny the Vanishing Element, Elephant, who he made disappear. Um, in 1912, he introduced the Chinese water torture cell at the Circus Bosch in Berlin, Germany. On September 21st, 1912, he was suspended upside down in a locked glass and steel cabinet, full to overflowing with water, holding his breath for more than three minutes. That's very difficult to do. Yep. Upper limits of human tolerance, I think. Yeah. During his career, Houdini explained some of his tricks in books written for the Magic Brotherhood. In Handcuff Secrets, 1909, he revealed how many locks and handcuffs could be opened with properly applied force. Mm. Others were shoestrings. Other times, he carried concealed lock picks or keys. When tied down in ropes or straitjackets, he gained wiggle room by enlarging his shoulders and chest and moving his arms slightly away from his body. Right. Which would make sense. All you have to do is just, you know, puff yourself up mm -hmm. while you're being tied. And then when you relax, mm -hmm. you can wiggle yeah. out of the ropes. Easy when you know how. <laughs> well, also the muscle control. You'd need the isolation control to do it without, without the person tying you really paying attention. So some subtlety there. Yeah. But when his mother passed on, he did become obsessed with talking to mediums and talking to, to the other side, wanting to look for some sort of answer or sign from his mother and seeing, is it possible to be able to talk to the other side? Houdini ended up exposing a lot of frauds and fakers, but he never really got his answer in life. Houdini and his wife Bess did agree on a password of sorts for whenever either one of them passed on, 
to be able to talk to the other one. Mm -hmm. Harry was fond towards the end of his life of saying that, you know, I'll come back. If there's any way, I'll come back. And in the final years of his life, he also launched his own full evening show because he felt like he had come to a point to where he he wasn't going to be able to find what he was looking for on the other side. And so he decided to go back and he did a full evening show, which was billed as three shows in one, Magic Escapes and Fraud Mediums Exposed. <laughs> Star-studded lineup. Yeah. This would have been 1925-1926. Uh, Legends told, tea leaves red. Mm-hmm. But um, he had a lot of different... He had a lot of different escapes. He did have a film career. At one point, this set was available on DVD because he had released two or three uh, films. There was a Houdini serial from 1919 called The Master Mystery. And there's another one called The Grim Game. I currently have these in my collection. Oh, just yeah. just so you know. I didn't know that. Yeah. No, that, never, that's I've just me talking these. to you and saying, I yeah, do have no. these in my collection. Have a look at that because that sounds interesting. Yeah. Now, they're silent films, but yeah. they're still interesting. They're still mm -hmm. very interesting. And I'm looking for better copies. And mm -hmm. I'm hoping that because of the source material, there's only so much you can do, obviously, right. because right. it is very early. Very yeah, early it film. is an older print. But even at the end of his life, when he, he did die on Halloween night, 1926, And for all the accolades he had, I mean, he, he had so much that he had done and probably would have continued to do. Yes. Oh, never, never a man to sit still from the sound of it. Always involved in something. Yeah. And he was always keen to take a look. I believe one of the accident the accident happened that led to his death on Halloween mm -hmm. 1926 obviously and he was in the middle of doing an escape and he had met with a couple of college boys earlier who mm -hmm. were boxers and they had said I heard you can take a punch and not do anything and he was only half paying attention and the kid caught him off guard and mm -hmm hit him pretty hard in like the rib cage and everything. Mm -hmm. And because of this, it just, it hurt for the rest of the day. And it was, there was, there was talk that that had something to do with his passing. Mm -hmm. I'd always heard that story. Yeah. That it, it actually uh, ended up rupturing his appendix. Yeah. It was, it was an accident because mm -hmm. Houdini wasn't ready for it. Yeah. And, you know, the that night, he basically just, uh, it was, let's see, let me see if I can give you a little bit more facts on that. Okay, 
Witnesses to an incident at Houdini's dressing room at the Princess Theater in Montreal speculated that Houdini's death was caused by a Jocelyn Gordon Whitehead who repeatedly struck Houdini's abdomen. The accounts of the witnesses, students named uh, Jacques Price and Sam Smobovich, sometimes called Jack Price and Sam Smiley, generally corroborated one another. Price said that Whitehead asked Houdini if he believed in the miracles of the Bible and whether it was true that punches in the stomach did not hurt him. Houdini offered a casual reply that his stomach could endure a lot. Whitehead then delivered some very hammer-like blows below the belt. Houdini was reclining on a couch at the time, having broken his ankle while performing several days earlier. Price said that Houdini winced at each blow and stopped Whitehead suddenly in the midst of a punch, gesturing that he had had enough and adding that he had no opportunity to prepare himself against the blows, as he did not expect Whitehead to strike him so suddenly and forcefully. Had his ankle not been broken, he would have risen from the couch into a better position to brace himself. Throughout the evening, Houdini performed in great pain. He was unable to sleep and remained in constant pain for the next two days, but he didn't seek medical help. When he finally saw a doctor, he was found to have a fever of 102 and acute appendicitis and was advised to have immediate surgery. He ignored the advice and decided to go on with the show. When Houdini arrived at the Garrick Theater in Detroit, Michigan on October 24, 1926, for what would be his last performance, he had a fever of 104. Despite the diagnosis, Houdini took the stage. He was reported to have passed out during the show, but was arrived and continued. Afterwards, he was hospitalized at Detroit's Grace Hospital. It is unclear whether the dressing room incident caused Houdini's eventual death. As his relationship between blunt trauma and appendicitis is uncertain, one theory suggests that Houdini was unaware that he was suffering from appendicitis Mm -hmm. and might have been aware had he not received blows to the abdomen. After taking statements from Price and Smolovich, Houdini's insurance company concluded that that the death was due to a dressing room incident and paid double indemnity. Hmm. Houdini's gravesite, Houdini's funeral, was held on November 4th, 1926, in New York with more than 2,000 mourners in attendance. He was interred at Mecca Cemetery in Glendale, Queens, with the crest of the Society of American Magicians inscribed on his gravesite. A statutory bust was added to the grave in 1927, a rarity because graven images are forbidden in Jewish cemeteries. Hmm. In 1975, the bust was destroyed by vandals. Temporary busts were placed at the grave until 2011 when a group who came to be called the self-named Houdini Commandos from the Houdini Museum in Scranton, Pennsylvania, placed a permanent bust with the permission of Houdini's family and of the cemetery. That's good. The Society of American Magicians took responsibility for the upkeep of the site as Houdini had willed a large sum of money to the organization. He had grown from one club to five to six thousand dues paying membership worldwide. The payment of upkeep was abandoned by the society's dean, George 
Schneider who said Houdini paid for perpetual care, but there's nobody at the cemetery to provide it, adding that the operator of the cemetery, David Jacobson, sends us a bill for upkeep every year, but we never pay it because he never provides any care. Members of the society tidy the grave themselves. Uh, the cemetery, uh, Meccapah Cemetery, Operator Jacobson said that they had never paid the cemetery for any registration of the Houdini family plot in my tenure since 1988, claiming that the money came from the cemetery's dwindling funds. The granite mon monuments of Houdini's sister Gladys and brother Leopold were also destroyed by vandals. For many years until recently, the Houdini gravesite has only been cared for by Dorothy Dietrich and Dick Brooks of the Houdini Museum in Scranton, Pennsylvania. The Society of American Magicians at its Natural Council meeting in Boca Raton, Florida in 2013 under the prompting of Dietrich and Brooks voted to assume the financial responsibilities for the care and maintenance of the Houdini gravesite. Honestly, that shouldn't be hugely expensive. It shouldn't Speaking be. Speaking as someone who has maintained gravesites before, that was my first job. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I didn't do specialty work, but, you know, it, it shouldn't be terribly difficult to arrange. Yeah. I'm now, incensed. Oh, that's all right. Uh, one of the other things I want to mention here is that um, on March 22nd, 2007, Houdini's grandnephew, the grandson of his brother Theo, George Hardeen, announced that the courts would be asked to allow a examination of Houdini's body to investigate the possibility of Houdini being murdered by spiritualists, huh. as suggested in the biography The Secret Life of Houdini. In a statement given to the Houdini Museum in Scranton, the family of Bess Houdini opposed the application and suggested it was a publicity ploy for the book. The Washington Post stated that the press conference was not arranged by the family of Houdini. Instead, the Post reported it was orchestrated by authors Kalosh and Sloman, who hired the public relations firm Dan Clore's Communications to promote their book. In 2008, it was revealed the parties involved had not filed legal papers to perform an examination. Shady. Very, very shady. You know. Not the way to promote your book. No, no, not at all. There is a lot more to be said, I believe, for Houdini. There's, there's the many tales and things that you hear about that have almost passed into urban legend. I tried to hit high points. Uh, there's plenty of stuff on Wikipedia and all kinds of other sources out there. Many, many books mm -hmm. about Harry Houdini and his life, not to mention books on his tricks and stuff. As I mentioned, the um, the one concerning Secrets uh, of Handcuffs, Secrets of Handcuffs, which I don't have, but I'd kind of like to find that. <laughs> we'll put it on because I've, I've been more I've always been more interested in how Harry did it versus just, you know, mm -hmm. it, it, you know, is, is it something that only he was able to do because of physical attributes? Mm -hmm. Is it something anybody could do? Right. You know, how tight are the handcuffs? Can you break free from the chains? Mm -hmm. Can anybody do that? Is always what I ask myself. Can I break from yeah. the chains? 
I always thought it was like uh, it was a physical skill that you could learn, like picking a lock or dancing or using a typewriter. Yeah. If you practiced enough, you could you could learn to do the things that he did. Okay. Uh, whether or not, like in, in a lot of uh, fiction plots, the the hero has a trick shoulder or something, he can pop out a socket and wiggle out of something impossible that way. But yeah, I don't know if uh, Houdini had any of that going on. But I'm not sure either. I'm not. I it, it could have been. You mm -hmm. know, it could have been. He had a trick shoulder or mm -hmm. a trick knee or you know, yeah. just an elbow that moved the other flexible. way. Yeah. yeah. Super crazy flexible. You know double digits in the thumbs and fingers mm -hmm. so he could bend his fingers back or yeah. something like this yeah. double jointed i should say uh i was going to go ahead and end this segment mm -hmm. now so that you would have more time to talk about seances okay. and things of that nature for the next one if mm -hmm. that's okay i i think i just wanted to add that both you and i um you i think more than i regarded houdini as something of a hero when we were children yeah yeah and uh you read a lot a lot more about him than i ever had but uh, both of us were fascinated with his escapes yeah and with his ability to wriggle out of situations mm -hmm. which makes this particular particular episode a special one for both of us i think yes so i just i just wanted to put that in okay mm. okay um then we won't touch very much on seances for this well, one well no i oh oh you did you did want to oh yeah okay we're talking about houdini the person now yeah and then yeah. we were gonna that's yeah. what i wanted to say about that about houdini okay yeah and then oh. we're going to go ahead and break and then come yes. back so that you can do seances yes, okay please. okay all right i got lost there people <laughs> i'm very sorry about that i got a little lost so what we're going to do right now is we are going to pause just for a moment and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about seances. And then from there, we're probably going to pivot off into the main attraction for this evening, which is Harry Houdini's seance for Halloween. But that's that's all coming up here on Couch and Coffee Table. Welcome back to our second segment here on Couch and Coffee Table. Uh, this next section is going to be mainly us talking about seances. And for that, I'm going to turn this over to Heather. Take it away. Yay. <laughs> uh, slight disclaimer. I do have to confess, neither Michael nor I have ever actually attended a seance. So this is knowledge and information gained through observation and study of materials around us. Uh, if you've ever seen a movie, you stand a decent chance of having seen one with a seance scene in it. If it's a holiday movie, a Halloween movie, a spooky film. Um, one of my favorite examples is, of course, in The Changeling. When uh, a seance is held to try and contact the ghost of a child. And a medium arrives and it's very creepy. 
And she has a number of things that she puts on the table and there's a number of, of activities she tries. Um, the actress does a really good job with it. She's very creepy the whole time. And um, there's a metal cone that wobbles and falls over. There's a glass that shatters. There's some automatic writing where uh, her hand is moving and someone puts a pencil in it and puts a paper under the, the pencil and her hand moves just randomly. And then sometimes if there's a, somebody somebody <laughs> she writes something words appear on the paper and it's very spooky because it doesn't look like she's doing it on purpose and uh in that film the seance is, uh, is recorded and the ghost's voice shows up on the recording later which is very creepy as well so um that's that's the stage set Usually there's a table. Usually there's a group of people. Most of the time it's people who knew the deceased. Hands are usually held. Sometimes people put their foot on the person's foot next to them just to, to discourage the trickery that Houdini was famous for debunking. Um, in, in the earlier, earlier days of America, uh, seances were rather more popular and not just in films, but people actually held them in their houses. Uh, the first recorded seance was uh, published in England in, in 1760 uh, in, a, in a book. It was a fictionalized conversation between the deceased in a book called Dialogues of the Dead by George, First Baron Littleton. Um, according to this, among the notable spirits quoted in the volume are Peter the Great, Pericles, a quote, and I'm so sorry, North American savage, unquote, William Penn, and Christina, Queen of Sweden. Um, so likely none of this is true. <laughs> and uh, it made a sensationalist headline, though, to, to think that you could call up the dead and speak to anyone. Uh, or you could ask the dead to move a metal cone or signify their presence by writing something in chalk or uh, spectral trumpets were really popular for some reason or tambourines. And essentially it was a lot of stage magic. It was a lot of stage trickery that Houdini was very adept at either duplicating or finding um, not just wires and very, very, very flexible uh, quote mediums unquote, but just the willingness of people to believe that you actually were talking to great uncle Hobart and possibly he would tell you what was in the will that got lost uh, or just people yearning to, for some contact with their departed uh, relatives. Um, apparently some of the more famous seances, famous seances conducted in the United States were by Mary Todd Lincoln. Uh, after the death of her son, she was rather, distraught with grief. And uh, she had some seances in the White House and uh, Lincoln did sit in on them sometimes. So that's, it's had a long history. And in the 1920s, this was uh, sort of a more common party practice. Um, in the 1980s, there was the satanic panic in the United States where uh, people kept thinking that teenagers were using Ouija boards to uh, invite devils into their homes and ridiculousness ensued. Um, lots of, <laughs> lots of sensationalist and 
paranoid and often racist accusations. Uh, just the normal kind of trash that <laughs> you you get in in tabloid fodder, basically. Um, but for Houdini, this was a very personal uh, quest. First of all, because he did very much desire to speak with his mother. Second of all, because it was so easy for him to debunk the charlatans. And if you are a charlatan, you are absolutely preying on the grief of people and taking advantage of people at their most vulnerable. And that is a terrible thing. So uh, I, I don't want to get moralistic, and I fear I'm, I'm careening into that territory. But uh, I think for Houdini, that was definitely a line he would not have crossed. So that was one other reason that made this a very personal, uh, personal crusade of his, both to find contact with his mother and also to expose people who were uh, scamming, people who were vulnerable. Uh, that would make sense because for Houdini, he entertained. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, his con wasn't hurting and playing no. on people's feelings over their grief. He right. wasn't playing on, he wasn't praying when I say, I mean, P-R-E-Y. Yeah. Yeah, praying yeah, yeah. on someone's grief or uh -huh. emotions in that respect. So I can see oh. why. And with him as well, grieving over his mother, he's looking at that just mm -hmm. going, okay, I'm in a place where I can do something about this. Yeah. People shouldn't be hurt like this. Mm -hmm. And he had, he had the voice and he had the platform. He had the skills. Yeah. And I mean, you, you can see the con really easily, you know, uh, Yo, you want to speak to your grandma Rose? Well, uh, the vibrations are bad this time, Mrs. Jones. Uh, give me $50 and come back next week at our regular time, and maybe we'll try again, have some tea on your way out. Uh, yeah, contribute an, to this and yeah, that. And, it's an you know. easy con. It's an easy con. It's a confidence game. Um, in, uh, in earlier bits of my life, I had a job working with people. And uh, a lot of my clients were people who were professional mediums um, and people who did a lot of new age spiritual woo-woo and uh, they would write books about um, the context they made, the space aliens they channeled, the dead people they were uh, <laughs> in, in past lives or... Um, Etc. And uh, it was always really interesting to talk to to them. Uh, sometimes you got people who are really spacey and just you, you kind of wondered how they paid their light bill and if their shoes were tied ever. Uh, other people were very more more businesslike and very sharp and very shrewd. And I remember there was a particular person. Um, and this, this surprised me a little bit how angry this made me. <laughs> She'd written this book. And in part of the book, um, she was talking about talking to this ghost. And the ghost in, in life as a person had been kind of a, a, a rough sort. Uh, so um, kind of a bar fly pirate sort of guy. And, uh, she encountered this ghost and he wanted to, like, she wanted him to move on. 
to whatever is next. And he didn't want to go because he was having too much fun being a ghost. And that creaky noise is one of our cats yelling for no reason at all. Uh, so she lied to the ghost to get him to move on. And I remember for the rest of that day, I was so mad because she'd lied to a ghost. And then it, it struck me as so completely absurd that I felt this way because, you know, I have no way of knowing if ghosts are real or not. I have no way of knowing if this author had 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 a conversation with something I didn't even know if it was real or if there was anything afterward that the ghost could have been lied to about. Um, so it was just one of those inconsistencies in my own, in my own brain that amused me, uh, just how angry I was <laughs> and, uh, how incensed the whole thing made me. You, you're fine. You're okay. fine. Just the kitty, Sorry. the kitty is very interested in all the things. Yeah. Uh, so seances. Yeah. Um, in most of the films I've, I've never seen anyone set up, uh, any kind of safeguards. If, if you believe in this sort of thing, which seems silly. Uh, but if you're going to talk to the dead, <laughs> go carefully, I would say. <laughs> do some research, maybe. Do some, do some talking <laughs> around. Read some books, maybe. Talk to uh, whatever faith leader you have. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Get some perspective on the matter. Uh, just don't go diving off willy-nilly. Because, um, <laughs> you know, maybe maybe there are things that bump, go bump in the night. I, I don't know. Uh, but if you're paying for a medium, maybe do your research and make sure they're not, they're not trickery. This yeah. particular recording we've got tonight is... Uh, does have sections of the actual seance that they're doing. And um, the narrator goes into great detail uh, discussing the circumstances of how and why the seance is happening. But he describes this, the, the stage. And this particular stage for a seance has 300 people. <laughs> and one of the first things I said to Michael is, that's too loud, that's too noisy, there's too many people there. Uh, because in every, every fictional instance I've got of contacting the dead or every anecdote I've ever heard from a, a budding author about contacting the dead, it's usually a quiet thing done with a limited number of people Yeah, yeah. in very particular circumstances. Like, let's turn out all the lights because the lights are too loud. Let's yeah. get really quiet because too much noise is distracting. Let's, you know, if we've got yeah. somebody channeling a dead spirit, let's make them comfortable and, and don't, you know, jar them around and jostle them. So in many ways, the stage that's set for this last seance sounds exactly the opposite of a circumstance in which you'd expect to be successful. It does, but I think they were also looking at it and just going, "This is Houdini," and yeah. Houdini never did anything small. Yeah, it's a it, it's a total uniform parade. It's uh, if you um, if you've ever read Peter S. Beale's The Last Unicorn, you mm -hmm. you 
to, to catch a unicorn to attract its attention, you have a parade. You have the most ostentatious, loud, brightly colored, jangly music, obnoxious parade you can. And the unicorn will be so bewildered and curious as to what all the noise is about. And why is no one not paying attention to it that it will come find you <laughs> and then look in on the parade. So that's, that's a, that's a whole school of thought right there. Uh, but this is, uh, this is an unusual document because it is not a radio play. Did you want to talk a little more about that? Uh, yes, yes, I do actually. Um, this particular uh, audio that we're presenting for tonight is, it's set almost in a documentary. It's almost an audio documentary. As you have a narrator from the evening and the narrator's name is George L. Boston. But it is very much a documentary recording. Uh, the voices you're going to hear in the seance actually are from the seance. You're going to hear the voice of Bess Houdini, Harry Houdini's wife. And that is actually Bess Houdini. And what you're going to hear is actually what transpired that night. But you're also going to have someone who's going to be talking about this happened and this happened as well to kind of keep the pacing of it um, a little bit more forward. So just a little bit more background on this. Uh, this is the final Halloween Houdini seance, and it was on October 31st, 1936. This will be the 10th anniversary of Harry Houdini's death. It took place on the roof of the Knickerbocker Hotel in Hollywood. This was the greatest attempt to contact a spirit that is very well documented. Houdini's widow made her final effort to reach her husband, Harry, after his death, according to an elaborate plan that they agreed to, that whichever of them died first would try for 10 years to get in touch with the other, on the other living side, that is. Although Harry was known to be an antagonist to spiritualists, he seemed to have, he, he did seem to want to believe it was possible for the living and the dead to communicate. But, you know, much like in the show me state, he demanded proof. You know, show me, prove it, mm -hmm. you know, put up or shut up. It's very much mm -hmm. what Houdini said to a lot of the spiritualists. And no one really ever could show him one way or the other concrete proof and so with that he constantly sat there and said until you can show me unless you can until you can prove it to me mm -hmm. i'm not gonna i'm gonna i'm not gonna think any other way around and heather was correct 300 invited guests formed the outer circle of this there were 13 scientists spiritualists in the occult reporters magicians spiritual leaders joining Mrs. Houdini in an inner circle. And so with that, I thought if you're all right with it, I would just go ahead and let's mm -hmm. go ahead and start this thing. So this, this is the final Halloween Houdini seance from Halloween 1936. It is an audio documentary. 
and it is narrated by George L. Boston, but the actual seance segment is taken from the Knickerbocker, the roof of the Knickerbocker Hotel from that night. So, here we go. The final Halloween Houdini seance from Halloween night, 1936. Houdini, the greatest showman that ever walked this earth, died October 31st, 1926. Prior to his death, he was seeking out and exposing fraudulent spirit mediums. He boasted that there was nothing that a spirit medium could produce by way of alleged psychic phenomena that he could not reproduce by trickery. Despite this, he took no chances. He and his wife, the late Beatrice Houdini, resolved between them that Whichever one died before the other, that one would try to contact the survivor. They further agreed upon a secret code. This was decided upon to prevent fraudulent mediums or magicians from claiming that they were able to contact either one of the Houdinis. It was further agreed that the survivor would use every type of conceivable seance to contact the deceased. That, once each year, on the anniversary of the death, the survivor would hold a small gathering of friends so that some message might possibly be heard. All attempts were to be discontinued after ten years. Houdini died first. His widow did not succumb until 1942. For nine years after Harry Houdini's death, she tried to reach him. Once she seemed to believe that Arthur Ford, the celebrated spirit medium, had actually reached her husband. Later, she decided she had been mistaken, that Mr. Ford had not received the real code message. There were, during those years, almost daily reports of Houdini's spirit visiting mediums all over the world, but not a single instance could actually be proven. It is notable, however, that Houdini definitely did not contact the one living person he had loved most, his wife. Thus it went till October 31st, 1936. This was the 10th anniversary of Harry Houdini's death. After this date, Mrs. Houdini was to stop searching. The 10th seance was to be the final one. In charge of arrangements was the late Dr. Edward Saint, an old-time showman and Mrs. Houdini's business advisor. Dr. Saint decided the affair should achieve epic proportion and proceeded accordingly. The roof of the Knickerbocker Hotel in Hollywood, California, was rented for the occasion. Now, the Knickerbocker is just about one block from the intersection of Hollywood and Vine, the movie capital's most fabulous streets. A bleacher-like seating arrangement was built, which could accommodate about 300 people, and fully this many were invited by engraved invitations. Sound equipment and a special lighting system was installed. Seats for the inner circle were arranged directly in front of the bleachers. As early as 7 o'clock in the evening, the invited guests began to assemble. People from all walks of life, but chiefly magicians, spiritualists, newspaper men, and others who had special interest in the affair. Up there on that roof, it was uncommonly cold. 
The sky above was clear and bright, with the stars shining brilliantly. It was so cold that most of the invited guests were actually chilled. Making up the inner circle were Mrs. Houdini and Dr. Edward Saint, the Honorable Charles Fricke, a judge of the California High Courts, two newspaper men, a past president of the California Spiritualist Organization, a member of the American Institute of Psychic Research, Hereward Carrington, and two magicians. One of the magicians was Carol Fleming, then president of the Pacific Coast Association of Magicians, and the other was a publisher of a magazine devoted to the concerns of the conjurers, William W. Larson, Sr. On a table in front of Mrs. Houdini and Dr. Saint was a small altar bearing a picture of Houdini. Over the table, a tiny light which had burned for ten years. On a low stand in the center of the inner circle was a small table. On it was located a pistol loaded with blank cartridges, a tambourine, a locked pair of handcuffs which had never been unlocked since Houdini's death, a slate, a bit of chalk, a large bell, and a trumpet. In addition to manifesting himself to Mrs. Houdini via the secret code, Harry Houdini's spirit was to be prevailed upon to shoot the gun, unlock the cuffs, talk through the trumpet, and so on through the list of objects. Such were the proposed tests. Now it seems that Dr. DiGiolini, a well-known West Coast mystery worker, and a few other outstanding magicians didn't really believe that anything was going to happen. They feared that the invited guests and the waiting world were doomed to bitter disappointment and possible disillusionment. So they offered their services to help better matters. It would be excellent, they told Dr. Saint, to get Houdini's handwriting on the slate, and they could assure its appearance there, or to cause a dove to fly up from the center of the table, seemingly created out of nothing. Dr. Saint wisely refused these generous offers. The seance was to be conducted on a strictly legitimate basis. The tricks of the conjurers were taboo. Promptly at eight o'clock, began the regal music of pomp and circumstance. This was the last music that Houdini ever used. He had always opened and closed his act with this music. Here is the actual voice of Dr. Edward Saint, recorded during the seance on that memorable night, October 31st, 1936. Ladies and gentlemen, in this cathedral-like atmosphere tonight, I wish to remind you that this is a most solemn occasion for the close friends that have gathered here. That the zero hour of the 10th anniversary of our departed friend is fast nearing the end. And that the results of tonight are primarily of a personal and private nature only. No attempt is being made to sway the world or to convince the skeptics one way or the other. This is a personal gathering aiding Mrs. Houdini in completing her 10-year vigil and to aid Mrs. Houdini and ourselves to a final and logical conclusion. Nor is it expected or intended that others must necessarily agree. But this last personal attempt to contact the spirit of Houdini has aroused interest throughout the world and to that extent 
will the findings here tonight be publicly recorded. We wish it distinctly understood that in this last and final attempt, we are interested in Houdini coming to us instead of to a stranger. Should Houdini contact a stranger anywhere in the world tonight, we know that Houdini will leave proper identification. On behalf of Mrs. Harry Houdini, I wish to thank all members of the press, both local and worldwide, the various national magazines, and the hundreds of individuals throughout the world that have aided. I wish to thank the sincere friends in the four corners of the United States, Canada, and Europe in the forming of some 20 or more simultaneous seances coinciding with our final attempt here in Hollywood. I wish to thank the several hundred friends, trained observers, and several dozen renowned psychics and mediums that are present with us here tonight, and especially the past president of the California State Spiritualist Association present here tonight, whose kindly advice has been of great value. Every facility has been provided tonight that might aid in opening a pathway to the spirit world. Here in the inner circle reposes a medium's trumpet, a pair of slates with chalk, a writing tablet and pencil, a small bell, and in the center reposes a huge pair of silver handcuffs on a silk cushion. Facing the inner circle stands the famous Houdini shrine with its doors ajar. The world knows that the Houdinis were always open-minded regarding spirit communication. Houdini sought to communicate with his beloved mother after she passed on, but he found no evidence that he could rely upon. The Houdinis always believed that in their search, if you remove the fraud, what is left must be the truth and they together were always seekers after truth. Before Houdini's death, the Houdinis made a compact that the first to go would try to contact the survivor. Houdini had promised to deliver a message in code to his wife, also to open the silver handcuffs and other signs if he should pass over first. It so happens that Mrs. Houdini survives and she made it a sacred duty to carry out the terms of the compact. The first year found Mrs. Houdini every Sunday between the hours of 12 noon and 2 o'clock locked up in the privacy of her own room, seated in front of Houdini's photograph, waiting for some sign of Houdini as prearranged in the compact. The truth regarding spirit communication was to Harry and Bessie Houdini a very sincere and profound question. During the following years, each anniversary of his death has been devoted to Houdini. During the last ten years, there have been times that Mrs. Houdini felt that surely Houdini was coming through, that her hopes of communication would be fulfilled. She was willing to believe 
but the evidence did not stand up. At no time has Mrs. Houdini ever received a psychic communication from Houdini, nor has anything occurred anywhere in the world that would lead Mrs. Houdini to believe that Houdini was trying to come through. Yet hundreds of alleged psychics and mediums have written in and stated that Houdini has appeared to them in some form or other. In Chicago, they said he walked boldly into a room. In Kansas City, Houdini was said to have written a long letter to Mrs. Houdini. In Long Beach, Houdini was said to have hypnotized the medium and then delivered a message through her. In New Zealand, he drank a cup of tea. And in Santa Monica, he escaped from several pair of handcuffs by dematerializing his hands. These things may be. Surely it is not for Mrs. Houdini to decide. But we all believe, and many prominent psychics agree, that if Houdini has appeared all over the world in spirit form, under every kind of manifestation, and doing this many times every week of every year of the last ten years, then we believe that the great Houdini will, on this last authentic seance, come to the little silver-haired widow, the little lady who for 33 years stood by the side of her beloved Harry, listening to the applause of kings and emperors and the world at large. A few days before his death in Detroit, Houdini, in a most strong and firm reminder, again said, Best darling, I'll come back to you if it is possible, even if I have to go through hell to do it. That was Houdini talking. Houdini was an editor of the old New York world. He was an honorary lieutenant of police and instructed a class of detectives and officers of the police force regularly in New York City. He was the author of many books, a writer of many magazine articles, a publisher of a national magazine, head of many magical organizations throughout the world, including societies in Berlin, London, and New York City, member of the exclusive Circumnavigators Club, the Masons, the Elks, and many others. He headed investigating committees that led him to appear on the floor of Congress at Washington, D.C. The Houdinis, Harry and Bessie, presented remarkable magic acts in the palaces of Europe and throughout the world. Houdini was working in secret with Thomas A. Edison on a delicate psychic detecting instrument and a process that would permit him to take flashlight photographs in the dark without the flash being visible. A thousand interests had Houdini besides his search and collecting of rare first editions to make his library on magic and occultism the largest private collection in the world, which led to the creating of the Houdini Room in the Congressional Library in Washington, D.C. today. Houdini spent much time in aeronautics, wrote authoritatively on the subject, and was one of the first 17 flyers of the world, owned his own plane, and was the first man to ever successfully fly an aeroplane in Australia, winning the aerial trophy in Melbourne, Australia, 
March 15, 1910. That, in brief, was the man, Houdini. He had safes and vaults in his home and vaults and banks that his lawyers had access to. But one secret now made public for the first time is the fact that Houdini had one safe deposit vault in a bank or trust company in the East under some family name other than Houdini and of which the secret location rested only in Houdini's brain. In this vault was kept highly secret papers and into which was always placed a certain glass case of jeweled metals and a diamond question mark pin with a rare pearl drop, a gift from Harry Keller to Houdini. The jewel box was always on display in the Houdini home, but prior to closing the house to go on a vaudeville tour, Houdini always placed this box in the secret vault. Many things were left untold because of the unexpected death of Houdini in Detroit. There is a law, a time limit. Madame Houdini has year by year awaited word that the federal government had located or opened the box long overdue. Perhaps the vault rent had been paid years in advance. However, this secret vault has never been located to this day. No medium or psychic has ever brought forth information from Houdini or the spirit world touching on or leading to its discovery. So if any circle tonight in any city or town in the world believes they are contacting Houdini, let them identify themselves by bringing forth this information regarding the secret vault. Tonight, we are in the very heart of glamorous Hollywood that Houdini loved so well. He lived here. He worked here. Houdini loved Hollywood. And Harry and Bessie Houdini celebrated their 25th, their silver wedding anniversary here. And all the great of Hollywood were present. And Houdini made a speech and said, you are all invited now to be at, at our 50th, our golden wedding ceremony. And Will Rogers got up and gave an impersonation and said, Houdini, I'll be here, but this is the way I'll be coming in. And he walked like an aged old man with a cane. Will Rogers is gone. Houdini is gone. Nearly two-thirds of that famous gathering is gone. But this is the kind of a night they all would have loved. Nothing could have kept them away. It's a Houdini night with the spotlight of the public on Houdini, with the whole world paused to see or hear Houdini step on this side of the curtain. Now let us bow our heads in meditation and prayer. O oh, thou master mind of the universe, please let the spirit of understanding descend upon us that are gathered here in the inner circle tonight. We are each in his own way seekers after truth. Please let thy spirit of understanding guide us and bring the light of truth 
to the many friends that have earnestly formed psychic circles and gatherings throughout the entire world. Aid us, guide us on this most important question to mankind, spirit communication from across the grave. We ask this universal understanding in all humbleness and we offer our grateful thanks to thee. Guide us, please. Amen. O thou disembodied spirits, those of you that have grown old in the mysterious laws of spirit land, we greet thee. We have gathered here at the appointed time. We have complied with all the requirements to enable all of you to make your presence known. Members of the spirit world have long known of the intention of this important gathering tonight. All is in readiness. Please now, the time is at hand. Make yourself known to us. Any of you, please, manifest yourself in any way possible. Please let your united strength and knowledge aid Houdini in coming through. It is the spirit of Houdini we wish to contact. Houdini, are you here? Are you here, Houdini? Please manifest yourself in any way possible. Take from this earnest gathering any strength that may be necessary for you to use. Take any vital thing from us that you may need to enable you to carry out your promise of years ago. We have waited, Houdini, oh so long. Never have you been able to present the evidence you promised. And now, this is a night of nights. The world is listening. Harry, your world, your audience. And Bessie is here. Your Bessie, who was part of you for 33 years. She's here, Harry, pleading in her heart for a prearranged sign from you. It means so much to her, to all of us, to the world. Harry, we are all seekers after truth. Please manifest yourself by speaking through the trumpet. Lift it. Lift it. Speak through it. Speak. Speak, Harry. We are watching and waiting, Harry. Levitate the table. Move it. Lift the table. Move it. Rap on it. Spell out a code, Harry. Please. Ring the bell. Let his tinkle be heard around the world. Do it, Harry. Please, please, Houdini, we are waiting. Bessie is waiting. Oh, thou spirits, your religion is based on love. And by that very token, a love of 33 years that have even entered into eternity, by that love I ask that you come through with the evidence. By the love of the little silver-haired widow, by the love and esteem of the countless friends. The evidence, Harry. And Houdini, Houdini, Dash, Dash is listening in. Dash, Hardeen, your brother, your brother has joined us with a circle. He is formed in New York City, 3,000 miles away. He has joined with us to seek the truth. And the circle in Baltimore, Philadelphia is listening in, in Providence, in Chicago, Leonard, who was once a protege of yours, a circle in Portland, Maine, and in the faithful city of Detroit, 
in Victoria, Canada, Tacoma, Rockford, Oakland and San Francisco, all over the world, all joining in. Come through, Harry. And Houdini, Colonel Harry Day, member of the British Parliament, has formed a circle in London, England. Colonel Day was your closest boyhood friend. Houdini, you must come through. And at the bottom of the world, Australia, the country where you made history, has joined in. We are crying to high heaven, to the powers that be. We are crying in one mighty magnetic voice from every corner of the earth. And the hearts and minds of the Muttletoos are centered here tonight. We want the evidence, the truth, in the name of humanity and love. If there is communication from the great beyond, come through with the evidence. Then followed calm and silent meditation. And again, a tense and dramatic soul pleading, in which Mrs. Houdini joined Dr. Saint. But no sign from Houdini. At last, Dr. Saint, in a voice that broke and filled with emotion, asked, Mrs. Houdini, the zero hour has passed. The ten years are up. Have you reached a decision? Yes. Houdini did not come through. My last hope is gone. I do not believe that Houdini can come back to me or to anyone. After faithfully following through the 10-year Houdini compact, using every type, medium, and seance, it is now my personal and positive belief that spirit communication in any form is impossible. I do not believe that ghosts or spirits exist. The Houdini Shrine has burned for 10 years. I now reverently turn out the light. It is finished. Good night, Harry. Beatrice Houdini turned, and with Dr. Saint left the roof and stepped inside while the others waited respectfully at a distance. Then suddenly a long, low, distant rumble of thunder was heard. It began to rain. Now remember, those skies had been clear but a few moments before. It rained just long enough to wet everyone on the roof of the Hollywood Knickerbocker Hotel. And then it stopped and didn't rain again all evening. To people who do not live in California, this may not seem strange. But California does not have showers, as do the East and Midwest. The country out here is rainless for months. And when rain comes, it rains for days. A brief heavy rain is an unheard of phenomena. Was that a sign? I recall a very dear friend of mine, a magician who was with me on the roof at the time of that seance, stating as he left the roof, Houdini wasn't that sort of man. Houdini was too big of a man to come back and shake insignificant little bells, to write his name on a piece of slate, or to toot horns. Harry Houdini was a dynamic personality. Harry Houdini was a man of great ego. Harry Houdini was a man of great force. Harry Houdini, if he could return, would not have returned as a horn tooter, but perhaps as something dynamic, as something great, as something forceful, perhaps as a drop of heaven's rain.
Quite an interesting experience, to say the least. This is Couch and Coffee Table. Welcome back for this, our final segment for this particular episode. Uh, In what you just heard, I'd like to, Heather and I both would like to say that you should be able to draw your own conclusion and your own opinion of this based on your own beliefs as to whether or not Harry showed up. Um, from your point of view, do you Um, feel like, I don't know. I, that particular instance, um, the rainstorm is, is a compelling argument. Just it's, it's flashy. It's ostentatious. It's, it's interesting, but I also wonder that, uh, if death is a different dimension, yeah. To get all sciencey for half a second. Sure. Um, you know, we, we, we think about time as a fourth dimension. But if there are, are other dimensions, and, and a lot of mathematicians pretty much believe there are, then time and the perception of time may pass very differently to somebody who is no longer occupying only the three dimensions we occupy. So, you know, I've already promised to haunt you. <laughs> Should I go I know, first? I know, I know. <laughs> we need to set a password. But um, I wonder if I would understand the same movement of time as you would. That's interesting. And that maybe if Bess had kept trying, that maybe she would have made contact. But... Um, I think if you pass before me, I probably wouldn't stop trying. Yeah. But I may follow the steps of some of the people I used to I used to know and see you in every random event in my life. If I see a butterfly, I will decide you've visited me. If I find a penny, I will decide that you, you know, <laughs> whatever would give me comfort in your absence, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes, I, I can see that. I mean, on the one hand, for me, I they talk about him being a single drop of rain. Mm-hmm. And everything that I read about Harry, he wouldn't be a single drop <laughs> of rain. He'd be a no. storm. Yeah. He'd be a storm. Yeah. And I really do firmly believe that. But I'm also sitting here going, he would have chosen a way that there would have been no doubt. Yeah that he was coming in from the other side. Mm-hmm. That That's something else I'm thinking of too, because he was very much, show me the proof, you right. know, show me the smoking gun, show me mm-hmm. this. And there's no doubt that this is what we're seeing. Mm-hmm. And I think Harry would have, would have also, if there was a way mm-hmm. to come back, if there was a way for him to actually, without any doubt, be able to sit there and say to Bess, mm-hmm. 
here I am. Mm -hmm. This is me. It's me. You know it's me. Right. Here I am from the other side. And I'll be waiting for you. There are a lot of uh, myth systems that do specify that the dead drink the waters of forgetfulness for that reason. And just to prevent them from really pining over their lost life or messing up their next life, if if you believe in a reincarnation situation, that they drink the waters of leave. And if, if you have a loved one who's promised to reach you by any means necessary, it might be comforting to think that they were made to drink the water and couldn't. Yeah. Sometimes I think about that in this connection, because if ever you had a situation where you should have been able to contact the dead, you had a person who was very willing to do it, to try it in any, in any, any way they could, yeah. and their partner who had a system set up but whereby they could recognize the, the other party. Yeah. And who promised to go through the seance every year for 10 years. I mean, if ever a situation should have worked, that would have been it. <laughs> yeah. And and yet um, the accounting of Harry hearing his mother's voice when he was trapped under the ice, I would yeah. believe. Yeah. Now, that is, that is something that I had gotten from the film right. of uh, <clears throat> Houdini star mm -hmm. Tony Curtis and Janet Lee, And I've never been able to find any factual information mm -hmm. about that. So it could have happened. It could not have. Right. But, you know, right. if that is something that I heard Harry Houdini himself tell me, then I would sit there and say, okay, yeah. he knows what his mother's voice sounds like. Mm -hmm. He was in that situation and very much, mm -hmm. yeah, his mother wanted to help him. Mm -hmm. And she did. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is, that is very admirable. And, yeah, I believe it if Harry told me because it's his experience mm -hmm. It's it's something yeah. very personal to him. There's no point in him BSing, mm -hmm. BSing me or anyone he might have told yeah. that story to about it. There's no reason for him to BS it. Yeah, but I could also find a science explanation for it, and say, well, you know, if your if your brain is being deprived of oxygen and you're in panic, then it's going to find a comforting memory when you're dealing with trauma, maybe. So yeah. That that your mother's voice calling you yeah subconsciously his intuition kicked mm -hmm. in but yeah. he wouldn't have been mm -hmm. unsure whether or not to trust his intuition so mm -hmm. psychologically his intuition would have taken the guise of his mother mm -hmm. and said now listen to me go yeah. this way mm -hmm. and he would have instinctively did that because of his bond with his mother mm -hmm. and who's to say yeah who's to say i mean all this is up for interpretation i mean there is a small piece of me that sits there and goes yeah harry made his presence known but he wasn't like mm -hmm. tooting of the horns or anything yeah. like this or ringing little tingly bells you know harry wasn't just a single drop of rain yeah harry was a storm mm -hmm. and for that yeah i do believe that he did come back but there are there are a lot of other people based on your own personal beliefs and you out there listening. I say, make up your own mind, decide for yourself. Maybe he came back. Maybe he didn't. Maybe you're sitting there going, there's still not enough proof. <laughs> and that's understandable. That's fine. 
It's just, this was an actual event. This isn't something that was made up by radio or anything. This was an actual event that happened. His wife and several people got together and tried to contact Harry Houdini. And for that, some would say they weren't successful. Others who knew Harry would look at it and go, well, there's Maybe. some loose interpretation on that. Yeah. Uh, the actual recording tonight, I also wanted to say that I believe that actual recording with the narrator and the uh, snippets of or the, the audio from the actual seance, I think were cut together and put out in 1976. I have not been able to find any more references to it. So it could be as early as like the late 1950s. I believe this was done between like 75 or 76. I don't have any more information concerning that. I wish I did. It's definitely a vinyl that I'm going to be looking for. Um, I just thought of something and I, I do apologize. I don't have oh, go ahead. Go a ahead. lot of information on this, but um. I don't know if Houdini was was a, was practicing Jew, Jew he was a practicing uh, his Jewish faith. And when Ruth Ginsburg died, we all said, "May her memory be a blessing," because um, I think for her, in her faith tradition, she was also Jewish. But I don't know. <clears throat> excuse me, I don't know if there was a particular. Uh, Christianity has so many different factions and sections and, 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 and various groups. I don't know if that exists in, in Judaism too. Mm -hmm. uh, in her faith tradition, there wasn't an afterlife. You, you lived and then you died. And I mean, he was so invested in contacting his mother. Yeah. So yeah. that would seem to, to me, to nudge over that he believed in this soul survival after death. But. Yeah, I, I think he did. I think a lot of it was like a lot of people who go to mediums and everything after mm -hmm. someone close to them has died. I think that he was looking for a closure. I think he yeah. was looking for some way to make sure that his mother was okay, mm -hmm. that there wasn't just death being the final thing. Mm -hmm. And I do believe that there are a lot of mediums then and probably some now mm -hmm. that will take advantage of that. Oh, absolutely. They will take advantage of the fact because they know you already want to believe. Mm -hmm. yeah. You want to believe. Yeah, you are desperate for you, You're already halfway there. Yeah. And that halfway is what's going to decide mm -hmm. how much money they're willing to drop. Oh, yeah. To see yeah. this 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 fantastic miracle of life after death to know that there's something on the other side. I've also heard it contextualized in this way in that if you want to taste sugar or be sugar in terms of uh, what various faith organizations uh, theorize happens after death, like for some for some traditions and, and some several traditions, not just any one particular one, but several mm -hmm. kind of have this idea that your soul rejoins the divine soul. Okay. And other traditions have it that it doesn't. And you either 
live a kind of an afterlife that's very similar to the life you lived mm-hmm. or you become a, something different. You come back to being alive in this reality, but it's something yeah. different or, you know, you, your soul is made up of several parts and several uh-huh. different things happen to it. So if, you know, I have no idea of any of that, what, yeah, who knows what happens? I don't. Yeah. Who knows? But, um, it would be it would be hard to it'd be hard to come back and talk to people if you had rejoined whatever divine thing there is. If you are yeah. sugar, you're not going to be like, oh, I taste really good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're just going to be sugar. You're going to be a part of that, and you're not going to have a separateness. Yeah. Anymore. So. That is that is a very good. That is a very good analogy, and I like that because it, it does depend on whether or not you want to taste sugar or be sugar, mm-hmm. as you said, and everybody is different on that one as well mm-hmm. because it's in presenting this this evening, I wanted to give, I wanted to kind of give you a little bit of, as we called it, a little bit of food for thought, food for thought and to be able to just let you interpret for yourself what actually went down here. And I thought something like this would be a very nice way to end our October nights for this year. And uh, did you have any final thoughts? I didn't. Okay. Okay. (laughs) I rambled a little. I apologize. Oh, no, it's okay. It's all right. (laughs) Uh, With that, then, I'm going to say that that's going to wrap it up for this episode and our October nights for 2022. And we appreciate you stopping by and listening in with us here on the couch for this season and any time of the year for that matter. And we hope you'll continue to do that. We hope you'll come back as we put up more episodes. And if you enjoyed this episode, you know, please check out some of the other episodes we have to offer as we'll be putting up new episodes, which are uploaded every Monday and Wednesday. And we are listener-supported, as we have always been, by you, the listeners, and we thank all of you for your support. And we hope you continue to do that as well. This has been Couch and Coffee Table. I'm Michael Perry. I'm Heather Perry. And until next time, be good to yourself. From all of us here at Couch and Coffee Table, we would like to wish all of you out there a safe and happy Halloween. Good night. <laughs>